so I okay so I've hit record for real now but um, I yeah we, I can cut in anytime we can start anytime all right yeah well, let's stop a rock and roll what's first <laughs> Always got them haters in my motherfucking right side The left side for my brothers And I need them all to get my sleep on my ride But I just share all these brothers I'm talking about the way you're talking shit Be on my back talking a lot of you be really thinking it's a fact But you never got no evidence All you do is bluff it about it But we don't need to give a second We've been busy with these ticket lines Aye, 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 aye Then drop it like a dial Little girl got a ticket I ain't never got a hit it Chaka money not a no one nigga said it ain't me Do chaka that I chin a nigga I'ma see myself again But I'm gonna dash not a gochi Not a dick a man Watch it burning Yeah, go jack it on it You can say my name Got me happy No, they back at you They get shit come back in On me so you never know Never know me I'm a fresh new one So you better keep an eye on Not a nice Take it guys So I don't gag it On them days You might go They don't say don't knock on Look, I ain't even got a zip I'm gonna get snooky Mata, you ain't gotta go Put this nigga on it Gums out of ditch Mata, chop it Nigga, play a sticky G Money, they get fucking leap Don't know, Zai, don't mind Don't got you one more night Well, the reason No, the native But a bump on them Now go watching You want jada So they pull the guy Double A5 squad You can pull up Don't nigga Manga, nigga Bull, get a nilla Rock, rock, rock And my shit got bitter Chicken out of job You know, so I ain't a killer but if it's really necessary, y'all ain't gonna miss it. All right. Well, welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I like to think of this as kind of a safe space. Uh, even though I get harassed, hopefully my, my guests uh, will not. Um, so <laughs> if you'd like to introduce yourself. Sure. Um... I am a Twitter user, Namu Milan, N-A-M-U-M-O-L-A-N. Um, and I love every fandom except one. So <laughs> go from there. <laughs> um, good stuff. So, um, yeah, I kind of wanted to have you on just because uh, you're an OG army. And um, you're also a music fan, which, you know, those two things don't always go. Well, being an army... And being a music fan don't always go hand in hand. I'll just say that. Um, and I think we have a lot of kind of overlapping interests. So I thought you'd be fun to talk to. Pick your brain about uh, all the good times and bad times and uh, times in between. Um, just kind of watching this sort of slow march to the sea that we've been uh, enjoying in 2020. So much ground to cover. Oh, mm. so much ground <laughs> to cover. But I wanted to start it with... Be- well, I think you're probably the only one of the only people that would appreciate my anecdote about six or seven years ago. I went to a record store with um, my friend uh, from music school who uh, she's now a teacher. And we were just kind of like browsing around and we came across my favorite thing of all time. The, the Sugar Ray section, which is just <laughs> all the CDs that were lit, like all the CDs that like everyone had bought into some sort of like mass hysteria and then quickly realized there was like maybe one song that was like okay and then the rest was just garbage and it was you know obviously Sugar Ray but um like some of the like Guns N' Roses and uh who was the like the Breakfast at Tiffany's group um uh, Deep Blue Something um, like the Batman soundtrack that had Kiss by a Rose on yes, the Yes, 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 yes. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Tub thumping. Um, yeah, all the, all the classics, all the classics. And, um, yeah, we spent 
like some very happy minutes uh, perusing all the selections and laughing hysterically at people that had bought those albums. But, you know, I have to admit, I did purchase Third Eye Blind, um, whatever that album was called, for Semi-Charm Kind of Life. So, you know what? I'm not immune. I fell for it, too. Well, it's just kind of always very interesting looking at, like, um, musical phases and fads. I sort of started off by listening to a lot of rock music, because it's kind of what everybody around me listened to. So I definitely remember um, when you kind of had phenomenon you just described you had that with third eye blind i remember you had that with good charlotte you kind of had that with like the emo pop punk pop like good charlotte some 41 um to some degree you had that with avril lavigne um when you look at bands like sugar ray you had that with lit i believe who were oh, in the yeah. same category yeah, 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 yeah. um <laughs> so there was there definitely were... like a plethora of these artists um who was tank um oh, i know I'm forgetting oh, I... um do you remember that song steal my sunshine uh... I do not actually <gasps> make well, Who was it? Um, Lem? You want to steal my sunshine? No. Sounds so familiar, but I All cannot right. remember I'll, it. I'll, I'll insert it here. I know it's all bad for me. like forgetting slowly <laughs> everything just like fades to black <laughs> it, well you know but that's the whole point is that these songs i mean ultimately are pretty forgettable even though you know what they probably did sell a lot of copies i think there's a lot of number ones uh a lot of good charting in that sugar ray section so many number ones and where do they end up Nowhere. For sale. They end up for sale in the Sugar Ray section for like $2 because literally nobody wants them. Yeah, and maybe maybe you have to be old um, to fully appreciate how little a number one actually means in the long run. Definitely. And it's interesting that um, people become so transfixed on chart performance. Obviously, I think chart performance to some slight degree is important if you're worried about the viability of an act you support. But if that's what you're using to, I guess, basically justify um, their creative body, you're going to start running into a lot of problems. I mean, imagine being like a Miley, like a Hannah Montana fan, you know, you probably felt like she was just like the greatest thing ever, you know, and like her music meant a lot to you. And it's the same deal. Like, where is she now? There was a time where she, I mean, she, there was a time when Hannah Montana or Miley Cyrus, when she was interchanging between the two personas, she was charting, like, she was giving heat to quote-unquote mainstream artists um and it's the same thing like if you weren't here in america during that particular time during the hannah montana reign it's like it didn't happen literally it's like it literally didn't happen the, the idea of like these phenomenons that are like huge while they're happening and then they just go away like twilight like i hate to say it but like like one direction um I mean, do you hear One Direction songs anywhere? Like, no, you don't. No. <laughs> yeah, don't. they're just gone. Um, I mean, all their fans sort of just migrated over to become armies. Um, but the music, like, you just don't, you don't hear these songs. Um, it's it's kind of strange. Yeah, or Twilight, like, um, High School Musical. Um, these things were huge, and then now it's just like... They just never happened. Yeah. 
or new metal. Like there was a time where you could not get away from new metal to save your soul. Like you were going to be terrorized by Limp Bizkit. And <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously, like I remember there was a time where like Fred, I had like a personal vendetta against Fred Durst. Like there was nothing I could do to get away from that guy. And it's the same deal. Um, it's just like, it's like that, the whole, that whole soundscape, that whole musicscape, it's almost like it didn't happen. It's always referred to very historically, like in a very archival manner, but the music itself is completely dead. It's like just deceased. Yeah, it's, and I don't know, I mean, I'm sure part of it is just like the American psyche. Like we just want, oh, the old and with the new constantly, like just, we want novelty, novelty, novelty. Um, and what came yesterday is just thrown out. Um, but I think it's also just the American music industry right now too, where if you don't sound like everything else that's on the radio, we don't want to hear it. And we don't want to hear anything that, that is not pre-programmed. I definitely agree with that. Um, there's a lot of, um, sameness and you see that, um, like obviously you see that in pop. I listen to like a lot of R&B and R&B radio. Like there's so much, <laughs> so much vitriol directed to, you know, like LMA and her because there is a level of sameness to all of them. Um, so even if you get out of, you know, like the top 40, you know, the usual suspects, the top 40, the usual suspects, and then you move down to like top 40 R&B, then you go to top 40 rap. I'm sure it's the same thing if you go to top 40 country. You're absolutely yeah. right. The musical field is well, becoming very, so, very homogenous. It's so small. And um, we were talking a little bit before, but um, for whatever reason, I had like a real nostalgic craving for um, Wiz Khalifa's Black and Yellow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just out of nowhere today, like kind of, you know, self-isolating um, in my apartment. I was like, you know what I really want to hear? Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. <laughs> but, but, you know, because I like, you know, at, for as much as, like, I, I really just love a dumb, like, pop song. Or, I mean, it's not really a pop song, I guess. But I just like a stupid song once in a while. Like, it, just a song that, like, makes you feel good. Um, yeah, have fun. Yeah, just to have fun. Um like like Big Bang does um, with like Fantastic Baby, Bang Bang Bang, like that kind of yeah, song, exactly. you know. Mm-hmm. But I went to like look it up on YouTube, and um, I was just like, I just like typed in like Wiz Khalifa, and like what pops up is like Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth, and I'm like, no, I no, I don't <laughs> want Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth. <laughs> I don't want Charlie Puth anywhere near Wiz Khalifa, but. But I feel like it's all these same guys that are just everywhere, like top 40 pop, top 40 R&B, top 40 rap. It's all the same, like, contracting. I mean, Max Martin, um, I mean, he's still kicking around, like, oh, who's that? I mean, so many jerks, so many jerk producers, like five of them that, like, just do everything. Uh, Stargate, Stargate, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, Stargate. Oh, my, they have just like annihilated Popscape. Another one, like the second coming of Satan. I'm sorry, I have got to get this off my chest. Please, Jake Antonoff, he is the musical antichrist. He really is. He was the guy who was in fun.
and then he um, he worked on um, Lord's melod- um, melodrama, and then he worked on Carly Rae Jepsen's most recent effort, and then he worked on Taylor Swift's Reputation. Um, he's just like we. I mean, pop is already pretty bad, but he just like <laughs> the bar is the just floor. Like We're like under the barrel, <laughs> exactly. Like that's where we are. <laughs> it's so awful and like i do like yeah like i'm old but i like pop music like i like um big dumb fun songs like um i like a lot of different stuff um i mean one of the first songs like i really really remember loving um is the culture club uh war like war war stupid like some like dumb like faux like Proto tropical house. War was stupid and people are stupid and love means nothing in some strange quarters. War was stupid and people are stupid and I heard the banging of hearts and fingers. Whoa. My other like big fave as a kid was the Humpty Dance. Yes. Um, you're gonna get is something like old town road which i just want to throw in the garbage and stomp on the lid 20 billion times because it's not the humpty dance like old town road is like the ice ice baby of our day yeah it's pretty it's pretty i mean on one hand i definitely want to give lunas credit for his hustle i mean oh sure he managed to do what bazi could not um but it's it's still it's still awful music, and I think a lot of people conflate the two. Like you can have commercial success and still, and it still be to some degree unwarranted garbage. Now, is it important to have someone like him be visible? Um, yes, absolutely. But does that necessarily mean that his output is without criticism? No, because the music is truthfully just awful. <laughs> it's, it's bad, bad music. Yeah, and I, I think like in K-pop fandom you know which is where we met um the two especially in the english language but i think also in uh korean circles as well just judging from 
you know, things I've seen, but the two have become conflated where, you know, getting number ones and having like a lot of streams sort of equals good, um, and, or equals a hit, uh, even, and those two things are not the same, like at all, at all. No, they're really like, you can, I mean, we may as well just like crack the ice on, uh, the BTS question, but I mean, I guarantee if anyone knows any song by BTS, it's probably Boy With Love. Um, but even then, I think it would be a reach for most people if you ask them. Definitely. Just like your average person on the street, whether in uh, Korea or uh, Japan or China or the US um, or Southeast Asia. I think it would be a real big reach. They'd probably know who BTS were, but could they name a song? Could they sing or hum the melody? Those are those are two very different questions. Exactly, we're starting to get you know anything beyond just like very, very, very tertiary level exposure. Yes, I think that's really where you know you kind of have like the proof in the pudding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like what happened. Do you remember when like Beck won a Grammy and like everybody like lost their minds? Yes. Like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. And it was very interesting because there's so many people who sample his work or who cite him. Or it's it's like Jay Dilla, for example, right? Um, somebody who's extremely extremely influential and kind of has permeated almost all corners of music, but has like zero visibility for like the average person. So and BTS is the opposite. Mm, They're highly yeah. visible, but like you can make the argument that at this stage in the career, there are a lot of questions about a lasting legacy. You know, it starts to get very murky once you really you know, dig deep, you know, like, it's just, I mean, do other people in the industry, you know, can they cite them? Um, do you, does the average person know of them beyond just being like, you know, those Asians, you know, could they even tell them apart from another group of those Asians? I mean, I've you know, seen viral tweets um, that prove that, you know, your average person cannot <laughs> and mistakes them for basically any famous Asian. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, I've, I always used to tell people it's, it's an insult to both parties when the media says this random, not really this random, but a different group of people is BTS. It's not ha 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 on them. It's ha 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 on everyone. Because, you know, if they can't identify BTS, then they're really the kind of message they're sending you is that they're not of, you know, they're not important enough for them to kind of know them, which is never good ever (laughs) no it's not it's it's insulting and um since i started paying attention to kind of english language coverage of bts in like late like 2017 early 2018 um i've just been horrified and then like more increasingly horrified with uh just sort of everything else that comes out it's it is it is a complete shit show of sort of um press release narrative regurgitated as fact, fandom narrative regurgitated as fact, um, some of just the worst grifters who have sort of latched on to this fandom as like a reliable source of clicks who will just say literally anything. Um, my favorite still is the guy who claimed that um, Big Bang were known for their sort of precise choreography. Yes. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I'm like, did you That's even dope. just bother to click on a video to see who it was you were writing about? Like, come on. There's just, it's, um, I always used to kind of like laugh when I would read those like super PR-esque um, news articles. I mean, I'll see them where they're just like, so-and-so, you know, delivers coffee to the set of blah, 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 and says XYZ is so nice. They picked up their trash, you know, or basically, you know, applauding fish for swimming. It's, you know, these really kind of like very cringy kind of, you know, such and such had a five minute interaction with so-and-so and they said they were so, you know, like you, you see so many of those. It's just like complete inanity. Like it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's literally just sort of make work to just generate content is like hashtag content. That's all it is. Exactly. Exactly. And like you said, a lot of what we get um, for BTS, a lot of the tweets or articles you see about them, they'll either, it's either secondary citations. So it's someone who will write like an extremely long piece, but none of it will be primary sourced, right? Yeah. They'll just copy and paste a whole bunch of other things. There'll be a lot of errors, but as long as it's flattering, you know, no the fandom. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just like, that's, it's really not the kind of precedent you want to set, you know, someone will just tweet, I just clicked on a video of these, you know, BTS guys, they look so amazing, you know, and like, they get like, you know, half a million retweets and, a you know, a quarter of a million likes. And um, it's very disingenuous. It's just. It's really, it's horrific. And um, well, maybe we should sort of just like dive right in. But um, could you, did you even imagine this future back in what, late 2016, early 2017? Um, when uh, people were, no. were trying to uh, whip votes for the BBMAs. I actually did not. So um, at the time, I had a friend of mine. She has long, I'm pretty sure she's like not even on the internet anymore. Her name was Nikita. I actually used to be on One How You. Um, I used to be on a forum and I wasn't really active on like Korean Stan Twitter because it was just, I, I was never, I was never in a fandom ever. I liked consuming, you know, this kind of media passively, but I was never an active participant. And I remember when the voting mania actually started in 2015, 20, oh, actually it would be like 2016, 2017, which is kind of when I got sucked in. So around 2016 on One You, and I'm sure there's other participants who can recall before it got shut down for like moderators trying to DM like underage girls and all sorts of other weird, <laughs> weird oh, so things. So just like typical like internet stuff. <laughs> exactly. Um, there were these threads that would pop up ever so often where there would be these people who would be like, hey, you know, we are on Twitter. This is insert, you know, base name. And this is what we're doing. If you want to sign up, DM me. And that was kind of like my first exposure to like this kind of organized front. And um, on my main, which will remain anonymous, I joined Twitter on that main for the sole purpose of doing that kind of work, like January of 2017, the very beginning of the year. And it's because on the forums, there was such an aggressive push for us to migrate to Twitter in time for basically the push of what would be blood, sweat, and tears. Um, there was an aggressive, aggressive, aggressive push that we get organized and we get ready and we really vote, 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 vote. So it kind of started on the forums and like moved on. And then it was kind of like very sparse. It wasn't as competitive. And a lot of the people who were doing this kind of marketing were multis. So it's very interesting to me to kind of see how it's become, you know, quote unquote, pure-blooded army. Um, that's still extremely creepy like that it's phrase, so crazy it's so like the people that were the 
I mean, those were the bad guys in Harry Potter. Not to derail. Yeah. So that's what happened on the forums. We did that for a while. And then now leading into 2017, there was, you know, kind of like, we have to do, we have to do a better job. We have to be on Twitter. We have to be on this platform to get ready for the next comeback. That's kind of how I got sucked in. But I know I never thought any of this would happen. Was it just like, a, did you have this sense of this was really important? Like, there was just this urgency, like, like the time is now, like, that it's, this is it. We're just going to, like, just go for it. I felt that towards the end of 2016, because that was really kind of like where the visibility was getting higher and higher. So it was kind of just like, okay, you know, this is, this is the shot. Like, this is the chance to make this something more than just those of us who listen to Korean, you know, music. This is, this is something that's marketable to people outside of this, you know, kind of like niche community. Because I can't remember, again, I don't have anything in front of me, so I can't remember when um, Blood, Sweat and Tears came out specifically, but I remember that single, specifically when that came out, it was, it's like hearing something and thinking, okay, we can work with this. We can do something with this and we can do something of value. So that was kind of like the first time I felt that. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm sold. And this was, I mean, and this is all coming from the fans, too. Like, this isn't, you know, big hit sending out, like, you know, hey, we'd love it if we're looking to break into the American market. We'd love our American fans to, like, you know, call. and um, Or, like, Super M just did with their push to get on the American charts. Like, hey, we're getting, we're getting on the American charts, so do X, Y, Z. This was all just coming from sort of these organized um, fan bases exactly it was all it was all basically self-starting it was all self-starting um and part of it was like um it was kind of i remember at the time it was kind of like a, a fun challenge because what we were trying to do or what the objective was was to make them visible enough to be noticed by western media and to compete with Western artists, but it wasn't in the, in the way you kind of have it now, where you know this is Western validation. It was more of trying to get them seriously taken, but we didn't think it was feasible. Like the entire time we we're doing this, I think something a lot of people forget is none of us really thought it was like for real. Like we were doing it like it was for real, but it's like deep down inside, and we're like, this is gonna fail horribly. <laughs> it's just like this is gonna go anywhere. But yeah, it was all it was all self self. So, so it was a self-starter, basically. It was just a bunch of random fans, again, all of whom were Maltese. They'd been around for a while. They thought they found something special, and they were like, okay, let's give this a shot. Um, and I guess just the, the timing timing was right. Um, it sort of came um, in that, like, that early 2017, in American music anyway, was kind of... Um, you had like the uh, fire festival. I mean, there was just like all of this 
if you wanted like a feel good music story was like Lil Pump and Gucci Gang was like the big breakout hit. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think there was definitely so many things worked together so well. Um, first of all, you're right. It was kind of like a vacuum for something new and interesting. Um, it was just like a there's a creative dearth, you know. Um, and like I said, I've always said like at the, 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 I would say like the bottom mid tier and the bottom of American music has always been really good, but the top is just not, it's, it's like flats over there, right. That's been out all day. Um, we are just very fortunate that there was like a, just this massive vacuum that needed to be filled with something. And also because people had become more connected, especially with Twitter, um, you had other fandoms that were already on Twitter that were quite sizable. Um, you had like the Doctor Who fandoms, um, you know, like the Adventure Time fandoms and the crossover may not necessarily be explicit, but the fact that people saw it as like a viable form of community was very helpful. It made it easier to kind of get in touch with people and pass information along. Um, like I remember the first person who taught me how to vote, she's actually still on Twitter. Her name is Annie. Um, I'm not going to give her a handle in case someone wants to go harass her by proxy and <laughs> try to get to me. But um she taught me how to vote and it was for mama voting. And I remember she showed me how you went to like a temporary email server. You would generate like hundreds of emails. You would just like put a period in there. So you had hundreds of them and then you would use that to register and then you would complete the registration and then you'd vote. And it was like these massive spreadsheets, you know, just, just huge. And then we had like a radio spreadsheet. Like it was like, okay, you know, you live in this area and this state and these are the stations you're going to call at this time you know and that's that's pretty much what we did that was that was how it worked and a lot of this happened by a dm um because there was just a lot of paranoia about being sabotaged and again at that time even though there were fans who would say that they were army but you still don't really have this pure-blooded talk there were just people who said okay bts is my favorite group out of all of the groups i liked um this kind of it's like this super strange like secondhand ptsd you see where there's people who weren't there who say, do you remember when these fandoms did blah, blah, blah? Well, the thing is that, it, yes, it definitely did happen. But A, like none of you are part of it. And B, at the time, um, the people who were present, there was a lot of aggression. It's not as if they were just stomped on. There was a lot of pushback from the fandom. I mean, there had to be just because there was so much overlap. You know, there was an extensive amount of overlap. Everybody makes it sound like, People got, you know, like a like army and put them in a corner and just like wailed on them. Um, really, the the people that really experienced it the worst were BTS. But the fandom itself um, was very always very aggressive and always very vocal. Um, you can go as far back, I think, on um, All K-pop. I think there's threads still up. If you go to All K-pop and you look at threads from 2016, um, 2017, you will see threads where army are just absolutely going at people and just not taking it so it's always very interesting to kind of hear this different perspective where they were just like you know kind of like laying there and taking it because it's not really how it happened yeah like the way that the um these stories have been kind of transmitted on to like the i mean the 2019 fans who were probably in 2016 you know still waiting for one direction to come back exactly yeah, exactly. <laughs> they weren't like, spamming the blood, sweat, and tears come back. You know, like, oh, it's not what they were doing. I don't know. It was just very, it's just very, it's very jarring to think 
about what it was like at the beginning and then see kind of what it was like now. Because back then, because um, part of getting a lot of this heavy lifting done was um, kind of getting more and more people into the fandom. So the fandom was definitely much more welcoming and much more tolerant. And I think that's because there was just a need for bodies. Um, and I think now that they're comfortable in their size and their influence, I think that's why you're kind of seeing a lot more aggression and a lot more otherism that really wasn't there. Um, because like I said, the tone was mostly like, Hey, you know, do you like BTS? And then I was like, yeah, you know, I, I watched, I was like, a, I was like a YouTube army, you know, like I watched their music videos on YouTube. Like I would read like a thread or two about them, but I wasn't active in the fandom, you know, like I didn't, I didn't know who their birthday was. I still kind of don't. Um, but it's just, I don't know something, something happened. That thing is called the love yourself era. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the love yourself, love to bully era. It's, um, it's something. Yeah, I, I just find, see, I find this kind of fandom history really interesting because, I mean, I wasn't around for it. I was like happily off in like Japanese, um, fandoms, uh, sort of just ignoring the K-pop fan world, more or less, because I always listened to, um, K-pop, like, you know, going back forever like I loved um, Shiny and Big Bang um, 2PM 2PM was was my group But yeah, the fandom side, I because I had heard the stories, like the, I mean, I've been around long enough, um, kicking around, like, K-drama fandom, um, that, like, I'd heard the stories of, you know, getting, uh, poisoned and, like, almost killed, and, um, just the insane sussing stories of girls sending, like, period blood letters, and, um, and I just did not want any part of that at all so I was like mm, no like the music um, like the groups I'm not touching the fans and um, yeah I you know every day more and more I regret uh, getting involved <laughs> it's just it's really not worth it it's um, really not worth it it's I mean no I've met some incredibly nice people but oof um, yeah I've also met some really awful people and I don't know what it is about BTS fandom specifically but I want to say that I think it's like I think part of it comes from just the the company's kind of hands-off approach because like they didn't they they don't seem to want to do anything to correct fan behavior or guide fans in any way um, just the idea that, that some random American fans or, you know, fans from around the world could get together and do all this fan voting. And then that just sort of changes the direction of this group's career 
um, in pretty striking ways is just astounding to me. Like how, like that's not, you don't base a business plan like on that. <laughs> like, no, you really don't. And that's, it's interesting you bring that up because that's kind of where it started to go wrong for me. So um, like I said, I got suckered in, um, created basically like a BTO sweater um, January of 2017 to like really get to work because everybody felt like, okay, um, this new series, Love Yourself, is really going to be the thing. This is like a shot. And I remember at the time our mindset was, okay, you have a Korean group, you have a Korean agency. And um, back then they were big, but they weren't, I would, I would not say they were top three. I would maybe put them on the same level as like plays or like Starship. We were like, okay, so we can do this. We can, we can supplement, <laughs> we can supplement all of these things and do this because we like this music and we think it deserves exposure and we think it deserves legitimate recognition. So we got to work. Um, a lot of it was calling, texting, streaming. I mean, I used to stream on three platforms. I used to stream on Tidal. I used to stream on Google Play. I used to stream on Spotify. Um, I bought like... Uh, did you have the sound on or off? Um, when I would do like that, it was overnight. So I didn't have to hear it. <laughs> you can only listen to <laughs> you can only listen to so many times. I know. Girl, it's it hurts such more a than waste her. of energy. Oh my God. I'm like, I mean, you know me, like I'm so anti-zombie streaming. I think it's such a waste of time. Absolutely. And it's like at the time, like I said, it was the thought was, okay, we do this. We, we use this as like a stopgap measure and everything will be fine. You know, that was kind of the idea. Um, so DNA comes around. We're like, oh yeah, you know, you know, everything's great. And then now we begin to transition um, to the next part. So now we're transitioning from, you know, love yourself, her, and getting ready to get to tear. And um, we started having a lot of logistic problems, you know, like um, dissemination of information was inconsistent. Information was being posted on um, fan cafe that was not being posted on Twitter. Um, we were having difficulty with radio stations, we were having difficulty with Ashley, we were just having difficulty across the board. And that's where kind of, at least for me, um, where a lot of <laughs> the descent kind of started. So, backstory, I used to be in a, the same radio request group as Miss Beatrice and her younger sister. <laughs> 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 well, they've had me blocked for quite some time, so uh, sadly they probably they probably blocked you. Okay, they threw me out too. Um, <laughs> they got mad at me because uh, oh, that's a story for another day. But um, so yeah, we were in the group together, and we would we would always kind of talk amongst ourselves. We'd be like, okay, you no, know, like why are we having so many issues? with, you know, doing X, Y, Z. Why can't we get, you know, big hits to respond to our emails? Why can't we get them to respond to this? You know, because what was happening is sometimes like we'd have radio stations reach out to us and um, ask questions and the people they were talking to, and I think at the time it was back before 50 states combusted, they would contact admins there and they would kind of want to ask them questions. Um, and it was just like, we're just a bunch of fans, like, <laughs> we can't help you, <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't have the authority for that or um it was just just stuff like that things that really should be handled by a record label and kind of 
that just going on and on, you know, when Mic Drop came out, we had similar issues. Like for Mic Drop to chart the way it charted on Hot 100. So I was in um, a group chat on Discord and pretty much what happened is they would give you a credit card. What well, was a credit card? It was a gift card. And you would DM someone and you would prove that you were army, you'd answer questions or you'd show them merchandise or you'd answer like some crazy obscure question. Um, so I think to prove that I was like army or whatever, I showed them like merchandise and I answered like some weird question I can't even recall now. Um, useless information being expelled. Yay! And uh, <laughs> in. <laughs> and I got um, a gift card. It was had, I forgot how much money and they had all these websites you could go to and you can buy a single. So that's what we did for like nine hours straight. <laughs> we bought Mic Drop like a hundred billion per billion times. Like I went through like three or four gift cards and each single was like what, like a dollar and 10 cents, if not cheaper. If not cheaper. And I did this like for so long, like we did, we were like getting like delirious, like we went sleeping, it was insane. It was like all this effort. Um, and like at the time, I felt like it was justified because again, the mentality was, okay, this is a stopgap measure for when we get proper promotion, for when we get, you know, a proper presence here. That was kind of the mindset. The mindset, at least for me, wasn't, you know, ha ha, you know, here I am, I'm gonna, you know, cut this corner and everything's gonna be fine. That wasn't really the plan. Um, but then that kind of became like the new normal. And I remember by the time we were getting to like fake love, already then we were kind of starting to run into like some burnout because we did that for dna we did that for mic drop the remix and then now here with fake love and we're looking at the same odds and i remember i'll never forget how tear was rolled out so horribly like information was just released like really in a very jagged fashion um then you start had started having disagreements amongst fan bases like they couldn't agree on strategy um you know it was you know do we prioritize charting the album or do we prioritize the single that was kind of the beginning the fake love tier era was kind of the beginning of that this whole discussion um and then things just kind of went downhill because what was happening is those of us who'd kind of been in like the trenches we just got tired i mean how many times are you going to go without sleep how many times are you going to you know buy extra copies of cds you know, just to kind of have them sitting on yourself. You know, I did that for her. I bought like a bunch of them and I did a giveaway, but I refused to do it for Tear. And I have basically stopped buying physical copies of their music because I have nothing to do with it. You know, what am I going to use it for? And um, it's just kind of, that's kind of how you had your first wave of manager army, because a lot of people don't understand the genesis of manager army. Manager army are basically people who just got really tired. It's <laughs> just, just tired. You know, it's because it, it was it was like having a second job. You know, when I was driving home, I would have to look at my spreadsheet and I'd be like, oh my God, okay, I have to call for the 6 you know, p.m. commute power hour. I have to call insert station and, you know, request X song. And that's kind of how we operated. Um, it was just very stressful. Um, and by the time we were getting to Idol, I was becoming just just disillusioned. I was just losing it. The song was terrible. Um, and we were doing really well with Fake Love on radio. And then here comes this garbage song, you know, with this garbage feature. And it was just awful. You know, it was just, I just felt so defeated when I heard Idol. I just, it, it felt like a like a personal assault 
on all my efforts up to that point. It was just like, you go through all of this and then this is what you give me to work with. You know, because what was happening is that our efforts were completely in vain. It's not like what was happening was, it's not like Big Hit was looking at us and being like, okay, you know, they're kind of you know, killing themselves. The, their position had clearly become, this is sustainable. Like what we are doing now works. Not using social media on, you know, not using all of our platforms equally is clearly working. Not releasing information soon enough is clearly working. Um, only posting things on fan cafe is clearly working. You know, just just the same offenses, you know, just the same offenses. You know, these canned kind of um, media appearances where they would go to all of these small radio stations, which and these radio stations have to answer to iHeart. So then you think, why didn't they just do the iHeart radio, whatever it's called? Just just go, just go, bow to the king. Why would you bow to the knights in the court when you could just go bow to the king? Because that was always happening. When they would do these dumb little radio tours, it didn't matter if they were not doing what the headhunters at iHeart wanted, which is what they ended up doing, what was it, like last year? Oh, that was, oh, that was bad. Yeah, yeah. Because the, they did those two iHeart radio, um, like... Uh, not showcases they were like interviews and they played some songs and um, wow it was just painful to watch just painful to watch awful so and that's kind of just how it went Um, and like I said that's where a lot of manager army came from it's just that fatigue the fatigue and the the lack of I guess any kind of just like feedback. Because I, I, I mean, just for me, like coming in at kind of the tail end of that, I mean, what I saw was fans who really wanted one, they really wanted that sort of, sort of mainstream success, or at least kind of recognition as like, this is good music um, from America, you know, or like from where, where we are here. Like you just want to, you just want people to like what you like and it was, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, but then you have this company that just is not interested in that. And so it's just like you're working at cross purposes where, you know, Big Hit is clearly, yeah, like, like you said, like they were satisfied with the, res- they were like, hey, this response for what we're doing is great wow, look at this. Look at all this response for exactly what we're doing. We're not going to invest more resources because that takes money. So we'll just continue to do what it is we're doing and uh, see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. And um, that's not... uh, It just feels like, for me watching um, kind of off to the sidelines, I just saw this like snowball effect where kind of the the fans that had been around a while kind of dropped off and the new fans coming in um, sort of brought in by this effort to mainstream them um, because the American media has no other concept. They've got no other box for a Korean idol group than boy band. Um, And so without a deliberate um, branding effort on the part of Big Hit, which is what Super M, which SM did with Super M, which I thought was really smart to sort of brand them as something that wasn't a boy band, um, but as like a pop group. So the, so the American media puts them in this boy band box 
there's a boy band vacuum because One Direction has vanished and for whatever reason the western music industry has decided that pop music they're just not going to make the kind of stuff that teen girls like anymore um and so here's this vacuum here's a band to fill it great um but the fans that sort of came in with that wave um were not they didn't understand the rules they didn't understand um a lot of things and just sort of put their own spin on um, just everything and you get uh, the situation we're in today which is where I mean I've certainly been kicked out of the fandom <laughs> <laughs> even though even though I was listening to Choro like back in 2015 but you know what oh nope uh, I don't count um, and yeah you just have sort of these pure blood armies who uh i don't know they they want bts to move to america and like sing songs by lauve like for the next 20 years i i don't know what they want this is very confusing to me i i don't know what they want either and um it's just very difficult kind of trying to reconcile where the fandom started and where the fandom is now with what i recall but i do think a big part of it has to do with bts's own evolution now, I'm sure there's people who are going to, you know, say things like, are you implicating them and, you know, with their trash fandom? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> um, there are certain things that I think that they should have said something about, but they didn't. So, for example, like, um, there was definitely a period of time where you had, like, an extremely overt level of, uh, that's a lie, not there was a time. There is, there is current, there is always uh, an undercurrent of, anti-blackness despite the fact that something that army are very proud of is how much bts approximates you know like real hip-hop so they always use this thing that like bts rap line is real but then they like hate black people so that's always very interesting um actually and it's unacceptable yeah let's stay on this for um a few minutes because i've noticed this too and it's, I mean, I'm not going to claim that I'm like some, you know, uh, I'm not like a pure-blooded, like, like hip-hop and rap fan. Um, but I, I mean, I've listened to it for years. And um, I mean, one of the things that I originally really liked about BTS was, you know, I'm old, like, I like G-Funk. Um, and like P-Dog, who took his name from Snoop Dogg, like, he also, you know, loves G-Funk in those early... Um, that early, early music is just like, hey, I may as well be listening to Doggy Style. But, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's good, like, and it's fun, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's like based in, in some kind of, like, like hip-hop and rap, and like that whole, like, American hustle life, uh, which I love, like, I don't know why fans are so embarrassed about it or at least sort of these newer fans or maybe they just don't even know about it but um that one's like there's a couple of scenes that really stick out and one of them is um uh that at the end where they're doing that showcase and they had like they'd written their own lyrics to regulate and they perform it to just like 
I mean, it may as well just been tumbleweeds in the crowd. Like, no one cared. Or they didn't even know what they were listening to. And that's just kind of like, well, I mean, you know, I guess you can't expect teen girls necessarily to regulate, but I, I don't know, just that disconnect. It was just very disheartening to me watching it and I think you see a lot of that just in the fandom in general where yeah you do always always see these comments about oh I like BTS because they're like not you know insert whatever racially coded word you want um style rappers and like, I don't know. It's 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 like both. It's like both. Like paternal, like paternalizing, like towards like the Korean rap and hip hop scene, and then also just like just extremely yeah, like racist. It's it's yeah. I don't know. And it's it's always exactly. It's just it, it is what it is. It's racist, and you'll have these comments. There was that woman who just like lost her ever-loving mind, and she was um, I don't remember what the oh I remember the genesis of what it was is she was talking about how much she loves you know BTS and all this stuff and then the gangster cool. yeah. yeah the gangster yeah. yeah and then oh my god time out I almost killed myself she was telling people that gangster rap is what you know like white media was calling it to demonize it well yes and no. Part of the reason why it's called gangster rap is because, like, they were actual gangsters. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are they supposed to call it? Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you remember underneath her tweet, they were just like, all of these people, Miss Beatrice being one of them, I saw it. Um, <laughs> they were just like, yeah, I never liked, I never listened to rap and hip-hop until BTS came around. I just feel like their lyrics are so deep and amazing. And it's really interesting to see that because, A, you know that they don't know anything about rap and hip-hop. And they don't listen to it because then they would know that just the way there's a lot of diversity in the Korean music scene, even within BTS's own discography, um, there's diversity everywhere. Like, you know, they kind of take this reductionist approach where they say, you know, Western rap is nothing but like, you know, women and drugs and, you know, violence. And it's very interesting because a lot of BTS's earlier songs were very in step with that. I mean, if you if you look at the ciphers, which are just like dripping with hyper aggressive swagger, there is literally nothing about loving yourself in those songs. In fact, I don't think you will ever see the ciphers again because they are too aggressive. what they're striving for now but yet every time 
you know, army want to kind of give themselves credit, pat themselves on the back. They're just like, well, BTS wrote these cyphers and they're the best rappers ever. Well, I mean, listen to Yumi's verses in those songs. I mean, listen to how explicit he is. It's, it's, there is nothing wholesome about anything he says. But, you know, you have to wonder too, like all these people saying like, oh, I never listened to rap and hip hop before BTS. And I just, when I see those comments, I just imagine, you know, Min Yoongi looking out at a crowd of people that like have just never they'll just never consider Warren G as anything other than like a minor character in the BTS universe and and just feeling incredible disdain I, I, like what else what else can you do I mean nothing. there's nothing you can do yeah. it's just it's just I don't know it's just how they're wired um yeah. Because look at even how it, okay, do you remember when Galant basically called called them out, them being a you know kind of like big hit really by way of BTS saying that they never like returned his inquiries. Oh. And time, there were a lot of fans who were just like, yeah, because A he's black and B they're not gonna get enough clout out of it. And in a way it was kind of true because like who is love? Like they are doing him a favor. Yeah. They really are. Like he is not going to be nominated for a Grammy. Nobody's ever going to write a critically flattering, you know, review. And I'm not talking about like the needle drop. I'm talking about like actual critical. I'm not talking yeah. about pitchfork. Yeah. That's another thing is the outlets that army go to for validation aren't valid. Like, no. I mean, no, no. Who? Rolling Stone. Oh my God. I uh, lost, I lost oh my, my shit. Daryl. I oh lost my, my shit over that Rolling Stone podcast. They had on this, like the managing editor of Jezebel or whatever, to talk to talk about boy bands, which I'm sure she is, you know, like well versed in the uh, Backstreet Boys, In Sync, Menudo, you know, fine. I like I love I like that genre too. Like I was ready to hear about that, and she launches into this intro to K-pop that I swear had been fished directly out of her ass um, about 30 seconds before recording started. It was ridiculous. Um, and I'm like, where do they, where do they find these people? And, and like, yeah, armies were quoting that Rolling Stone review and like, look, Rolling Stone, like, ooh, they weren't quoting the Rolling Stone charts though, where, no. um, you know, the Rolling Stone equivalent of album equivalent units was far lower than Billboard because Rolling Stone filters out uh, passive streaming. Ooh, funny how that works. Absolutely. And that's not a conversation they want to have because <laughs> as, as they say oh i'm ready for that yeah because this is like he was the fandom of being Ooh, extremely anti-black exactly dang um <laughs> they also they also i mean to be honest with you any kind of army who comes around and basically i mean they hate south koreans also it's oh, just yeah. that it's a oh, more yeah. complex form of it but it's the same xenophobia is there because it's it's uh, I think you and I spoke about it briefly once. It's respectability politics, right? So oh, 100%. They, oh, the reason why they like BTS is because based on their Western litmus, usually white um, litmus of what... White adjacent. Real, exactly. Yeah, real yeah. music is. Once, you know, now you have BTS making, you know, kind of like this music, if we want to well, call qu- it that. Quote, unquote, quote, unquote, music. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And um, it's, you know, it's art, you know, so of course, you know, of course, they, they are amazing. They are legitimate, but legitimate, but nobody else is. Yeah. You know, no. Else is. And um, 
And it's I mean, just, that's it's, you know, what's strange to me is how sort of this, uh, all of these armies sort of crawled out of the woodwork claiming, you know, oh, we love this South, a South Korean band did this. Oh, Koreans did this as, you know, the sort of the, the proportion of those armies sort of rose, uh, with the proportion of white songwriters writing their music is yeah. very, very strange how that happened. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, they say causation is in correlation, but, uh, I don't know. <laughs> sometimes, you know, there's smoke, there's fire. But no it's, order. you know, cause one of the things I've always loved about, um, listening to music from other places is that you get to hear different sounds and different melodies and rhythms and, I mean, one of the things I've always loved about um, Korean pop is just like this, like the heavy and still to this day, like heavy jazz influence on their melodies. And um, yeah, like all of that is just like, it's completely vanished from um, BTS. You're never going to hear BTS do a song like Autumn Leaves again. Never. No. Never. It's just, um, I mean, I, I have a pretty, okay. So pretty much my principle is with like, with my, with my friends that I speak to pretty candidly about how I feel about just music, it's not a secret that I thought persona was really bad. And I was like, okay, you know, like, this is like, this is the rapture, you know, it cannot get any worse than this. This is, this is <laughs> the book of Armageddon right now. I am in the pit. Okay, I this, these are visions from hell. Like I just cannot, I just oh cannot my go. My, oh exactly. My. I, you know, I felt like that was it. I was just like, if I can survive this, you know, I have, I have cleared the stage. And then, you know, seven comes out, and it is truly, truly one of the. Okay, we're going. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you want to restart your rant on um persona and then <laughs> listening to seven but it really was like and then i heard seven and it was and i was like and, and it was <laughs> was darkness that's what it was it was like falling into a void just like oh my gosh um yeah so then i heard seven and um, i remember everyone was very excited about it and i was crying at this point at this point i mean for a while i've basically been like simulating interest because i it's just not there so i was like okay maybe this won't be as bad bad well i missed the release date i didn't know a thing about it in general because i have long given up comes out i listen to it first thing i noticed is it's just not mixed well and this is a complaint i had oh. with black swan per, oh, um, they sound like garbage they're the mix bad. is garbage the vocals garbage throw all those vocal mixes in the trash i don't i mean a professional did this that's what i that's what i thought when i listened to it for the first time i was like they paid someone for this
Unbelievably bad, exactly. So, so already it's technically horrible. All right. So, <laughs> already we have that to deal yeah. with. The content of the the record was just really awful. Um, I have a bone to pick with that, you know, that guitar sound that they have in like three of their songs. <laughs> you hear it in Chris Brown's "I Need You," Boo, you know, the like, oh, that canned strumming guitar. It's just. Gotta see you, boo, and the hearts all over the world tonight. Said the hearts all over the world tonight. I need you, boo. Oh, I gotta see you, boo, and the hearts all over the world tonight. Said the hearts all over the world tonight. Hey, I'm gonna let you go. I didn't like the songs you had that were supposed to be like throwback songs, like you know, like um, "We Are Bulletproof." Well, I don't know if "We Are Bulletproof" is really a throwback song, but that respect. A lot of these songs that were kind of supposed to harken back to like the glory days were just so uninspired. I actually, I really liked "Respect" because it reminded me of that. Um, there's this um, kind of infamous John Lennon song called uh, "How Do You Sleep at Night." You his uh at that point former bandmate paul mccartney uh basically asking how do you sleep at night after stabbing me in the back and um you know basically taking control of the beatles and um telling me that all my creative content is worthless like blah 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 and it's extremely bitter and um just the lyrics are like full of vitriol and respect kind of reminded me of that song and also it, it was not um the vocals like you could hear the vocals clearly and it was mixed well so i was like okay all right respect. it was definitely probably one of the more less bad that's like i know i'm committing like so many grammatical crimes no no no. i i understand what you mean yeah but it was still for me very underwhelming because you're right like when you read the content it's supposed to have like this fight but again the delivery was just not convincing and that's kind of like mm. part of the whole performance you know you need to make me believe it 
Um, and I hate to, you know, kind of describe it as being low energy, but in a way it is sort of low energy just because yeah. it's almost like you could tell that it's like they recorded it after multiple takes of being fatigued. Um, if you if you listen to how aggressive they are in earlier songs or if you listen to how aggressive um, Rapline is in certain songs they re- recorded individually for their multiple solo projects, you definitely hear a level of energy that just was not present in this. And as far as what they could have done with the song, I still felt like lyrically it was very tame. That was something else. I felt like this album just lacked any kind of imagination. Um, RM, for all of the things he does right and all of the things he does wrong, Something I will always give him is that he's always been very talented in writing songs that transcend multiple genres. You know, he can write very good ballads. He can write very good rap songs. He can write something in between. He's always been a very, he's always been very motile, you know, when it comes to that sort of thing. And I felt like this album was just so dead. <laughs> you know, there was like nothing. It's like whatever yeah. he had left to give, it, it's just over. This album felt like trying to get blood from a stone. It was, it felt like a pile of scraps that they just kind of shuffled together by lauv or whatever. And that was it. Like, it's, it's not a good album. I don't care how many copies it sells. It's not a good album. And frankly, I think they, the members, at least the ones who care, you know, put in exactly the amount of effort that the fandom deserved <laughs> you know? and yeah it's it's true it's just it just sounded i don't know like i i feel for my for my friends who genuinely liked it um i mean not not that i feel for them in that like i feel like they're like they're being swindled i just i just feel bad because i it's almost like i feel guilty because i just i just i don't know if i can ever adequately convey how bad i think this out this record was like <laughs> <laughs> well and so you know it's it's it is bad and what makes it worse for me is that um I love idols I love idol music and I don't hold idols to the same standards that I would hold um you know people that are artists or musicians first um personality second but I, I love going back to SMAP because, you know, SMAP really did pave the way for the modern idol group as we know it. Um, I mean, SM, uh, Lee Suman, like, based H.O.T. on SMAP. And H.O.T. is essentially the model for um, every Korean boy band. And um, what SMAP did as they, like, from the beginning, actually, SMAP, you know, they're not great singers. Um you know, or musicians or whatever, but they've always sort of worked at the forefront. Once they reached like the point where they could just do anything, like what they did was work with really talented songwriters and musicians to make good songs. Even to the end, they were working with um, Sheena Ringo. They were working with like at the time like hot indie band uh, I guess in Okwami. Oh yes, oh, like they were. We'll have to have a talk yeah. about them at some point. My boy Emmett oh, just God, could not I... keep his hands. Oh. <laughs> he could not keep. He could not keep some certain things to himself. Yeah, but I loved. I saw them live actually in um, Fukuoka. <gasps> I like. I I never got get barricade. I got barricade. <laughs> so <laughs> I fought for it. It was it was a really really great show. Um. 
but yeah, they worked with them. And like, and, you know, and here's Smap are like in their, you know, sort of early 40s, been around 25 years. Yeah, and their albums, um, you know, towards the end, like they would still get like number one. But it, you know, they weren't like million sellers. Um, but but they like they put the effort in to make something good. And to me, like that's the difference. You know, here you are at the top of the game. You can do anything, and it's gonna sell. And what do you do? You know, do you work with Sheena Ringo? Do you work with Yoshiki? Do you work with um, I don't know whoever the American equivalent of Yoshiki is. I mean, is there one? I mean, but they could, you know, if, if they really wanted to sell an album in America, like, why wouldn't you, I mean, uh, I mean, is it Blackpink that are just going to, like, work with Lady Gaga? Like, why wouldn't you work with Lady Gaga? That Or, like, Frank Ocean, because I think in a very contemporary sense, very accomplished as a writer and very accomplished as a musician, very private and very exclusive. But no, we don't get him. We get... Montana. <laughs> it's that to me is the difference. Um, where like Nak- I, like I'm 99 sure that Smaps Nakai Masahiro is like literally tone deaf, but they still like they give him lines like you know sure he's auto tuned, like, you know, but but they they work with these people or worked with these people and put out some like great records like to the end. Like, I treasure my sort of, you know, end-era SMAP singles because they're good. Um, they worked with uh, the guy that writes all of Perfume's music for one of their, like, 2014 singles. Um, so, yeah, like, that's what you can do at the top of your game, or Arashi, at the top of their game. They're not, yeah, I mean, they're not quite as um, involved in the music end. Um, but like production wise, their concerts are insane. When they had reached the kinds of heights of, of like renown or at least size of fandom that BTS have, they put that effort into, um, you know, playing Tokyo Dome and basically making sure that every person in every seat was just like wowed with the stage production and craft. And I mean, they went all the way around Tokyo Dome. I mean, it's the level of, of effort and production and performance that went into those shows. It, I mean, it's not I'm matched. sorry to, to cut you off, but... Oh my gosh. So, I've seen BTS a number of times that I refuse to disclose. Let's say it's more than twice. Ten times. And something that has always bothered me is just how underwhelming they can be when it comes to the peripherals. And I say that because people are going to be like, you're going to tell me they're not amazing performance. No, that's not what I'm saying. They are very good performers. In fact, that's that that's the fact that I can see them perform is pretty much the only thing that's kind of keeping me here. But when you look at their concerts as a whole and you compare them to other concerts that, you know, like, like what we were talking about, like um, what Shiny did, or like Big Bang's Japan tours, yeah. you can see that yeah. the issues is that Big Hit's not doing what they need to do production-wise to support them. And it shows, and it's very, very bad. Like the last tour, um, my friend and I were cracking jokes about how we paid like an extra $100 to look at inflatable pool toys. That's really what the Jaguars were. I mean, they were inflatable pool toys. Um, there was nothing happening there. Like the, you know, the way they use their displays, it's not dynamic, it's not engaging. 
their stage setup is extremely underwhelming. I mean, do you remember back in 2008 when, um, this is what actually made me remember, when uh, um, Ayumi Hamasaki had her Miracle Tour and she had like a legitimate pirate ship on her stage? Do you remember that? See, I've, I've wanted someone that could reminisce about, like, the glory era of those sort of mid-2000s divas. Kota Kumi, like, her stage tours. <laughs> like, her um, her stage tours are always, like, un- first of all, she's an, an unbelievable showman. She needs to stop talking, like, ever. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> she, I mean, she plays the drums, she plays guitar, she dances, and dances yeah. well. Yeah. And um, her yeah. stage tours were Legends. always just... Total legend. You know, it's just... <laughs> it's just close. Yeah. Oh, and for anybody listening to this, like, in the near future from when we recorded it, um, Avex right now does have some, like, full-length concerts up on their YouTube channel for free. For a limited time. Um, so I I think Kodakumi is on there. Uh, Ayu is definitely on oh, there. Sure. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So go, go check this out. Yes, because there's it's very good. It's a very, it was just a very different um it was just a very different time. Uh, what was his name? I used to jokingly call him Cloud Gact. <laughs> oh Gact. Are you still kicking around? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You were like at his peak, like there was he was not quite I mean I wouldn't put him in the same category as like I don't know. Um okay, let's do like the three divas, you know, so you have Namie, you have uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ayu and then either Koda or Utada, take your pick. Um, but yeah, a little yeah. bit on like the offside, like the section offside, kind of like the more um, Main Street pop version of what you had with like the niche visual K stuff. But I remember like his stages were always unbelievable, and part of that was again this just this push, the support to kind of have a complete performance. And I think that's the thing that annoys me the most about um, BTS is that they are very capable, but they don't get the support they need. And a lot of Korean acts don't get the support they need. Uh, you and I had a conversation yeah. about how part of it is because their agencies don't see them as anything permanent. So they they don't have any motivation um, to do better. If you look at what a lot of Korean acts have to work with when they come to tour in the States, like what, um, what SM did to Red Velvet, what they did to NCT, um, what JYP did to Twice to Got Seven, like the, they were literally just performing on bare stages. There's no excuse for that. Well, it part of it, I I think part of it too is the low expectations from American audiences who maybe don't know what they're missing. Um, and then the other thing too, I think is, and I hate to say it, but I think that a lot of fans um, they don't care. They just want to go and see their favorites, and you know, film the big jumbo screens with their cell phone cameras and that's enough 
it's yeah if you look if you look at the acts that are big in japan and you look especially at those japanese concerts that like you can see what what like a group like big bang shiny tvxq um what they're capable of and it's pretty great um i just like one of my favorite all-time um concert dvds now is the um the shiny fan meet at Tokyo Dome right after Jung Hyun passed away in um, 20 early 2018, and it's so like it's just so powerful and and even like watching on like you know my shitty TV, um, you can just feel the power in that stadium and you see like they they have they use the big um, Arashi clear moving stages where they sort of go over the crowd. Um, and you can like look up and they'll pass over you and it's just incredible and like big hit just they're not they won't they just won't shell out for anything like that um, because they know fans will just show up anyway exactly I don't know and they don't have the respect for the audiences to put in the work and I think that's what that's what gets it for me is like when a group like SMAP works with Sheena Ringo, um, it's like out of respect for the fans to like give them the best product possible. When Shiny puts in that effort for the Tokyo Dome to make it as dynamic and amazing and the best it could possibly be, like it's it's partly out of respect for the fans. And I just don't see that from Big Hit at all. Nope. You know, and I don't I don't I mean you know, I'm sure that there is some, and I wouldn't blame the members for, you know, I, I can definitely tell some of them tuned out and just don't care anymore. And they're like, whatever, I'll just show up. And I don't blame them for that. But Big Hit, for sure, is just a complete lack of respect for the fans. Complete lack of respect. Exactly. And um, what makes that kind of worse is that um, it's considered, <laughs> it's considered like wrong authentic yeah exactly it's because oh it's stripped down no you're paying you know like sub 200 for tickets it deserve better and uh yeah if you try to say anything you know then you're being ungrateful but you're right it's not part of that it's part of the experience and you you deserve better it's just not it's just not there i mean even if you look at like um so i usually go to edc whenever i my kneecaps can manage it and that's an outdoor festival. And really all it is is giant screens. And even, even when I think about that and compare it to what Big Hit does with the, the screens they give BTS, it's still so limited. It's just they they don't create specific visuals. I mean, we get like the little MVs in the middle so that everybody can like go home and write like, you know, dissertations on theories that... And it's gone to a point where I don't even think there is a theory. I think it's confirmation bias. I think you see what you want to see, so you think there's a theory. But whatever. What do I know? Well, and then, oh my god, because we figured this out, too. I don't know um, where there was, they did the, the live broadcast of the concert. They streamed it in Japan and then streamed it in, I guess, like for V Live or whatever. And they sent like the feeds were different and so the japan feed had like taekook yeah. moments and then the vlive feed had jikook moments i mean talk about confirmation bias like they know and they're doing it on purpose absolutely absolutely it's just like um the age-old argument about how even stuff like burn the stage or whatever is just 
it's scripted reality TV. Yeah, it's scripted reality TV. Like, I don't see how that's controversial. I don't know exactly. Like, everybody's just like, oh, it's, you know, it's so realistic. But you're telling me that something that's recorded and edited multiple times and watched in a room full of people whose job it is to make sure that it is a success, who understand um, target marketing, um, who understand the demographic, Mm -hmm. don't sit around and make the cuts and edits that are most flattering. I mean, everything has a narrative. I mean, if if media didn't have narrative, we'd be stuck with documentaries and even they have narratives and who watches those, you know? So everybody acts like we're watching, you know, like... But like the raw feed from the Big Brother house, you know, no. You know, exactly. We're watching empty version of reality tv we're not watching well in the thing with um burn the stage that i found so fascinating was that the series was very different from the film um, which was also again very different from the memories discs the three of them were very different in the way that they portrayed like certain um certain scenes uh, because I guess they were all for like three different audiences um and certainly the burn the stage the series that was on YouTube Red was so heavily done to like ramp up like these drama and like like voyeur voyeuristic like tendencies almost like that to me was like seeing poor Jungkook like collapse and just the way that that they let the camera linger on him made me feel so uncomfortable to me the editing for like the scripting for burn the stage I think happened a lot like in the editing room bring the soul on the other hand I think was scripted along the way like I there's no other explanation for for some of the the things that like that was that was about as reality tv as the hills exactly to my mind I think I see such a difference is you're right and burn the stage a lot of what we see you can tell is through cutting and editing because um, mm-hmm. A lot of it is shown to you, but in Bring the Soul, there's a lot of exposition. So there's a lot of very direct delivery of what it is they want to say and what it is we need to be told. Um, and I might think that yeah. everything there. Yeah, like they do a lot of narrating exactly. of what's ha- like, yeah, it's the hills. And you can tell, like, I think anyone that's watched more than just, you know, um, a handful of two-minute bank time bombs can tell the difference between what's real and what's like acting basically exactly it's just i don't know it just feels like um it's almost like bts are a simulation of themselves which is i know that sounds very strange to say but it's almost like there's the bts that we started with and there's what our expectations were and what big hit wanted them to project wanted to project them to be and then there's that bts um, it actually reminds me a lot of, um, do you remember um, ah, Daft Punk, that project they did um, with the Crescendo? Is that what was it called? Oh, crap. One more time. Um, so it's called Just Solo 5555. And essentially what happened is uh, it's like an animated film, but it's told through um, Daft Punk's music and um it's basically follows like this group that gets basically like kidnapped and they're forced to make music 
and they're like really popular, but they hate everything. <laughs> and it's a, it's a visualization of Daft Punk's album um, Discovery. So oh, that's a great yes, album. and um, when you watch it, it's kind of just like, wow, that's what they meant all this time. <laughs> you know, it kind of brings to life, um, you know, a lot of things that they were feeling um, about kind of where the music industry was headed. Because when Daft Punk released Discovery, there was kind of like a lot of pressure on them to enter the pop market in kind of like what in a way that like you, you saw like David Guetta into the pop market, for example, and really didn't want to. And it's almost like that's kind of what's happened to BTS in a way. Um, obviously, there's things that they want to do, but I feel like there's always like a quiet reluctance. Like every time I watch a performance of Boy with Love or In Love or whatever, I always look at their faces and it's just like it's it's like they're trying to convince me that they're enjoying themselves and I'm trying to convince them that I'm enjoying it but then really nobody's enjoying it well there's some people that are enjoying it um except they I think I think every single one of them has me blocked so and I mean on all of them you know they would never do again back to what we were talking about yeah now yeah. who likes stuff like you know boy with lover and people who probably did not like dark and wild at all because that's really what got me into bts was dark and wild i love that album i always yeah. always be my hell to die on i mean is it the most mature body of work no um you know is it you know groundbreaking quote unquote not really but something i did like about it. but it's, it's good. good and it was very genuine and it was something that we hadn't it was something that we really hadn't seen it was refreshing when I heard it, it felt very refreshing, and I think it still sounds refreshing it, if you listen really to good. it. It's an excellent, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it, it wasn't, and it was what it was. Um, because something that I've become just so sick of is every time something is done, every time a song is made, there has to be like this manufactured grandeur attached to it, you know, like when everybody was saying that song is up, I mean, home is about returning to army. Um, paradise is about you know like Ugh. not knowing who you want to be so it's okay I mean that was an offhanded comment but when you look at the rest of paradise that's just not all it's about yeah I, but it almost doesn't like it doesn't matter um, because like it's just like whatever kind of yeah whatever grand narrative like it's and I don't know what's the craziest thing about all of this for me is that none of this or very little of it comes from Big Hit. It's just like sort of self-generated by the fandom. It's so weird. It's just bizarre. Like they just come up with all of this stuff. And I'm like, where are you even getting this? Like, where does this come from? Like, you know, what? Like, what? <laughs> what? Oh, I mean, they, it's like they take just like the like a hint of i mean i mean i guess the freud stuff or the um young stuff did come from big hit but i mean they like namjoon even said like he didn't even read the book like he read like a cliff notes like he read like the back of the book and was like "Uh, all right (laughs) and yet now we have people writing like elaborate jungian arcs and i mean it is interesting like to dive into jung like i think it's interesting but it's that's not I don't know like that's not what you should be getting out of it I think like especially if if the songs aren't good yeah and the bigger issue is that even like let's say let's okay we could we could make the concession that obviously these are all just our opinions let's say that in this sterile environment the songs are grade a you know like a (laughs) one 
Uh-huh. Sure. In theory. Yeah, in, theory. in theory. Then, yeah. even if you examine the supposed source material, the purported source material, and you look at what you're getting, there's still a disconnect. There's still such a disconnect. And yeah. it's it's how it, you know how like how far can you push your own delusion well, you know, and i i have to wonder sometimes too if fans don't prefer the korean lyrics because then they don't understand so what they they're saying just make up- um yeah they just make up whatever narrative they want in their heads um because there are so many like i mean i don't speak korean um but i've taught myself a little bit and um I'm okay with Japanese and so you know there were there were when I first started like getting into um this fandom and there were all these narratives flying around some of which that you know people would drag out these quotes and I'd look at them and I'd be like there's no way you know Yoongi actually said this and I you know I went back and looked at the original Japanese which again would have been a Japanese translation of his Korean I didn't say anything near like what fandom had been insisting that it said and I'm like but no one no one went back to check like you know fans don't speak I guess like they never bothered to like look at other translations or I don't know and it just accepted this because it said what they wanted to hear and just ran with it and then that kind of became the fandom narrative and I think they do it with lyrics too it's just it means whatever you want it to mean because you don't speak Korean, have no intention of learning, you just like bragging about liking a Korean band. That's it. Exactly. And that's where kind of like the role of um, fandom translators, I think, becomes very important. They are like the sub-chief propaganda ministers right behind like, you know, the praying for the Bangtan crew, because you're absolutely right. When you have a a very small group of people who are coming up with these translations that um are really positioned in a way that is designed to aid and abet a pre-existing narrative you kind of have these problems i like i I cannot let go of home it just made me laugh so much that there were so many so many people who truly believed that it was about all of army and then army and he's just like no i'm talking about the koreans i don't care how it makes it bye and it's just like i thought it was so obvious at the beginning of the songs, he literally says he's so exhausted. So he's implying that he's clearly been traveling and helpful, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, where where have they been traveling, like, forever? And they just want to go the fuck oh. home to Korea and stay there. Home to ARMY. Yeah. Go home to no. Korean fans. <laughs> uh, it's just... But you're right, it's, it's the same deal. And um, even with translations, it's always very hard to kind of find, like... Um, different translations or try and get even people who are willing to translate because it's gotten to a point where like people are scared of translating because there's this thing that's developed in the fandom where i mean we saw it today oh god yeah that was awful but you it's... shoot the messenger you shoot the messenger <laughs> and the thing is is like nothing that she said um or translated was new i mean the financial times has been reporting on this stuff for a few weeks like you know, it's nothing hidden, you know, so like go email the Financial Times. Exactly. Like, you know, that you don't like reality. Like, it's it's so bizarre. I don't get it. I mean, I do get it, but I, I, I don't like it. Like, I don't know. It's like um, this thing that we liked was 
has just been transformed via narrative into something else. And so that when we look at this group, that we know what we're seeing, but we're being told by all these other people that that's not what it is, even though that is what it is. Exactly. It's like gaslit. It's like, it's like you're being gaslit like every day when someone talks about clean, pure lyrics. And I'm like, do you not remember the Namjoon collection of girls, what of every like race? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's, I don't, I don't, it's just, I don't know. It's just so, so strange. And you know, it's one of the things that ARMY prides itself on is being so different. You know, you'd think that we have like, you know, this, this multiplicity of like ideas and stuff like that, you know, like we'd be a convergence of, you know, people from different backgrounds, so and so forth. And we are, but we aren't. Because what happens is whenever you join the fandom, part of it is like, there's this like, you have to conform, like it's non, it's not for debate. And if you don't, then um, yeah, I mean, you're basically run out. So whether you're a translator or yeah. just a regular fan, and that's kind of what got me in trouble with the speed dress um, is um, I basically, it was when the speak yourself tour was announced. I was very vocal in our group chat. I said that I think it's unethical for this tour to be announced this way because you are putting a lot of pressure on people who want to see BTS and you are poisoning it in a way that's going to make people make, <laughs> make decisions probably not in the best state of mind. So if you had like, I forgot how much time, how much turnaround time we had, but we had not a lot of turnaround time. So, I mean, there were literally, well, I mean, who were literally, neither did the group. Huh? I think they, they, the, I mean, the group themselves only found out like it, they, like they didn't have much turnaround time either. And like, they found out like it was only like three weeks between love yourself and speak yourself. Yeah. So I said something about that. I was just like, how, how can you do this knowing full well that there'll be people who will be tempted not to pay rent or there'll be students who really don't have that kind of external income and they'll try and do the right thing, quote unquote, and go out and try and see this group and have that be fine. I mean, yeah, that's what, that's what got me in trouble because that was that was breaking rank and file, which was everything that happens is great and be thankful there's a tour. And if people don't have money together, then that's their fault. Yeah, well, you know, um the Bible says, uh, the more money you have, the more blessed you are <laughs> and the more you deserve out of life. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I believe that's like page one, like, like that's like S1, E1 of the Bible. Uh, the more money you have, the more blessed you are and the more you deserve. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at how the fandom is designed, it's just like proof of, proof of support is how many B21 plushies you're buying. Like I remember there was a time um, when we were like the radio, we were just getting killed. And something that used to make me extremely angry was there was all these people during comeback time, they would be like, oh, you know, like charting doesn't matter. This is before charting was like a piece of cake. They'd be like, charting doesn't matter. What matters is that we all enjoy the music. And then they would turn around and buy like a billion B21 plushies. And I remember just being like, what? You know, and it's kind of evolved now to a point where all that matters is, you know, consumerism. You know, it's like, how many albums did you buy? How many singles did you buy? Um, yeah. You know, how many times have you seen them? That's really what determines who is or is not a real fan. And it's very unfortunate. And Yeah. And that's the thing is, is like, I mean, idols are a consumer product. 
and idol music, pop, especially like commercial pop music, is meant to be a consumer product. It's, you know, these pop songs sell products, like, they, you know, they're using commercials. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I love a lot of really commercial um, songs. Like, I used to really love, um, you know, things like the Archie Sugar Sugar Sugar. And the problem with BTS, I think, now is that there's no art like you have to balance you have to give people something in exchange for their money and i think bts like the the scales have just flipped completely in favor of money and not with any art and like that's unsustainable because eventually people will get tired of paying for the satisfaction of being able to gloat online exactly it's not um it's not adoration based on appreciation for art form so it's and in many ways art is an extension of the self so i mean i guess you could say in a very abstract kind of way people don't even really like bts for who they are because we're not really listening to their art we're really just kind of enjoying them for their brand or their content which is not fixed like that's not static and you're right, eventually people are going to get tired of them and they're going to want something else. And then they'll yeah. move on. They'll move on and uh, the members will take what's left of their you know, cartilage and joints um, and you know, go into the military and come out. And uh, you know, who knows who will be here. I mean, I will be here uh, waiting for August D2. But... Um, I don't know who else will. <laughs> exactly. It's, I don't know. The anyway. Mm. Should we uh, put a bow on it here and um, maybe do a part two at a later date so we can really discuss, you know, the glory of the J-pop mid-2000s divas? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sorry. Okay. I've been suppressed for time. No. So no, no, no. It's, yeah. You know, I mean, it took a pandemic to finally uh, get us together, but <laughs> we did it. Silver linings and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Well, do you have a song you want to go out on, or should I pick? You can pick the outro song. Um. Yeah, because I, I really, um, I've brought it up like ten times tonight, but um, I think we need to hear "If I Rule the World." If I rule the world, I do it Westside till I die. Give me the real hook, man. If I rule the world, yeah, I do it all. Yeah, it's BTS. And we do the If I rule the world, I have it all. I'm shot, I'm a dog, got bitchy pretty girls. Wines on the up, so she named on Tabula. You up being Asian, Caucasian girls. Kitty gone, Bula, with Owens and Bumista. Alex in the way, ain't seen no love for punks.
우리가 만약 세상을 지배한다면 일단 먼저 난 공인중개사를 찾아가 가족과 함께 살집을 사고 파 그래 그 다음은 내 장롱면 너 잠에서 깨워줘야지 다른 구동 차를 구입하고 기름을 주입하고 이런 게 물이라도 무이자인 할부로 주식과 도박 그딴 건 안하고 파 세상을 지배했는데 왜 그리 꿈이 소박하냐는 질문은 많아 박탈 식구들과 그래도 여전히 I'm still 음악이 고파 난 힙합계의 김장은이 됐어 우리 음악 말건 심의를 걸겠어 올토당토하는 꿈이지만 It's my dream 놀리지만 